Welcome to episode eight of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock bands, Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream and also an un, as yet unnamed indie folk. Uh, indie folk band, uh, and I'm co-host of the uh, First Team All Nonsense podcast. And I'm Josh Dye, the president and founder of the Convene Training and Resilience Community, and we're both so excited to welcome you to the only podcast in the world to focus on the world-class Twin Cities craft beer scene, and the we're just one big happy family until things don't quite go to our expectations. Uh, <laughs> And then we got to let somebody go when they don't. Uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, after that intro, we're going to make like a brilliant bouquet of grapefruit and tropical fruit and go right into the beer. Josh, what brewery are we sampling and talking about today? I think we are talking about one of the more underrated uh, breweries in the Twin Cities, which is Insight Brewing, located at 2821 East Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis. And Dan, I just want to list off their year-round beers, or what some might otherwise call their flagship beers, <laughs> which are inspired by mythical creatures. So here, here are their year-round beers. The Wisdom of Old One-Eye, a Norse-style blonde ale. An Obstruction on the Trollway, a Citrus IPA. The Return Voyage of Banshee Cutter, a Coffee Golden Ale. Luring the Lord of the Lock, a Hazy IPA. And the Autonomous Nature of Dankbot, a Dank IPA. Now, let me talk about the Dankbot for a moment. That, to me, is of many of the IPAs that I've had in the Twin Cities beer scene. Stands out to me because of its dankiness. You know, like that is not a lie. Like you drink that dank bot and you're like, yeah, it has a kind of a, has a danky smell and a danky taste and a danky feel. And if you're like a classic, you know, go back to the days when we really only had like American style IPAs, mm -hmm. you know, they came out with a dank bot and it's like, oh, you know, that was an IPA that not every IPA lover liked unless they wanted to get pretty adventurous. And so actually, I, 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 I sort of connotate something for me, but is are you sort of talking about like a funk? Like, I think we're saying all this in a good way. If, yeah. If you're into that, if you're into more of an edgy style, but that's kind of what you're going, what talking about with a dank. You know, it's like when somebody would drink a beer and then they pull the glass away from them and they like look at it and <laughs> like, like a, what was that? Like yeah. I liked it, but what was that? Yeah. That's, that's the dank bot. And so, okay. You know, Dan, I think you really like these, their branding of these mythical creatures, you know, yeah. old one eye trollway, a banshee, a Lord of the lock, you know, a dank bot. And they had this one beer that they've since retired. That was one of my favorites, you know, the splendid moose, mm. uh, you know, as well. So when it comes to their year round beers, they hold to this mythical creature uh, branding, which you're more nerd culture than I am by far, which I think <laughs> it really appeals to you. Yeah. Well, there is something about it that seems good. It's a, it's, so I'm always for anything that has sort of like just a brilliant concept and on top of the quality of the beer, there's something about these legendary cans and there's a little excerpt that almost looks like it could be ripped, you know, ripped out of an old legendary tale. And it almost reminds you of something that you'd see in like the game Mist, and you'd see some tattered something left behind where you would read the story. So it makes it kind of fun to explore the different uh the different products they have that way and yeah it's a it's a, it's a great concept and and the beer is executed excellently and yeah we should probably just mention that in all this talk about the dank and you know that may may not be your type of thing but you and i are both into the sours we both like that sort of edgy um sort of like oh yeah you think you can give me a hoppy beer well you know try to give me too many hops and see if you can't you know and, yeah. and so we're always in search of those sorts of experiences so for us that's a good thing am i am i right then in assuming you have a dank ipa with you there no no we'll talk no. about our beers in a minute i'm actually okay. uh having one of their limited ipas but before we mm. get into the beers that we're drinking yeah i think that's a a very fair overview of like hey if you don't want uh, a danky style IPA, <laughs> the Trollway is a great option, the Luring the Lord of the Lock, Hazy IPA, 
are going to fall right within those. You like a good classic IPA or hazy IPA type of experience. You're going to be good to go. But before we get into the beers we're drinking, Dan, I did want to talk about that they also have an array of seasonal beers as well. And I just want to highlight one of them because people can go to uh, the Insight Brewing website to look at the list of the others. But they have the one called A Visit to My Crazy Aunt. That's what I was going to name my new indie folk band. (laughs) And you might as well. Uh, (laughs) It would be like a reverse. Who is that that's always getting getting the cease and desist for their beer names? Oh, that was um, was one of the earlier breweries. Modest. Modest, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is kind of that in reverse. They can come after me. The breweries are going to cease and desist your band names. Ah. But the A Visit to My Crazy Aunt, this is a great summer beer. It's so unique in that it tastes really similar to a gin and tonic. So you're drinking a beer, but it feels like you're drinking a gin and tonic, which is like really uh, thought-provoking at the time that you're you're drinking it. So again, if you're in the adventurous side side of things and you want to like, ah, uh, a beer that tastes like a cocktail, A Visit to My Crazy Aunt is a fun example of one of their seasonal beers. And then finally, Dan, before we get into what you're drinking and what I've selected for this particular episode, before the pandemic, Inside had one of the best deals each week where you could bring in a growler and they would fill it for seven bucks. (laughs) Now I checked their website recently and I don't see that. And I think that's as much a, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic, but that just kind of goes to show that you know, they're like really looking to get people interested in their beer, get people loyal yeah. to their beer. And imagine just like, and I did this a handful of times. You go in on a Monday, you fill a growler for seven bucks. And what a deal. Because so often growlers are like $14 plus, right? So yeah. it's, um, I imagine it's probably not, you're not getting like uh, Imperials, but it's. So originally my understanding was like, it was basically any beer, but then they started producing more. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you could get, they put them into like phases. You could get this set of growler fills for seven, this set of growler fills for 10. This set it, of growler yeah. fills. So you're always getting a really good deal um, depending on the beer that you are getting. So yeah, yeah, you're accurate about that. But I should know like that is not the case that I can tell right now, but I wanted to highlight it as a, you know, that was a really cool thing before our world was <laughs> flipped upside yeah. down. So what did you choose for your sample? Well, I am uh, drinking the, tro- I, I've just always called it the Trollway, but an obstruction on the Trollway, it's like small little type above that, but they have their little troll story on the can. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, yeah, citrus IPA. You said in, in, in terms of like compared to more really edgy stuff, it's a little more of a straightforward uh ipa but it's it's pretty heady um it's it, it's got a pretty full body to it it's sort of like a honeyed kind of malt and uh i'm on my second of a, a four pack i had actually i would have maybe tried something a little more uh far afield but i, I just i had a day where i i had plan my day out completely to swing by a liquor store I knew was going to have a wide selection just everything fell through and it's like a quick stop into the buyer lease and like please mm-hmm. have inside beer and so I do the troll away but I, I enjoy it quite a bit but I, I would as you were talking there I'd rather be drinking a dank IPA right now and but I'll tell you what you would have gotten had you made your way to Liquor Boy in St. Paul, or St. Louis Park, excuse me, Liquor Boy in St. Louis Park, where uh, you and I often buy our beer. And that's what I chose to sample, which is called the Hop Spin IPA. It's a double dry hopped, double hazy IPA with <sighs> Citra and Savro hops, and it is fantastic. Oh, yeah. <sighs> you know, I, I was looking up a Savro hop, is one that imparts distinct tangerine, coconut, tropical fruit, and stone fruit aromas with hints of cedar mint and cream mm. with, you know, combined with the citrus hops. It's a really good hazy clocking in at about 8.3%. Oh, wow. And Are you drinking you, one now? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Okay, so like, yeah. I just I, I just want that to really kick in when we get to your <laughs> flaming hot takes <laughs> later in the show. Um, I, we should probably mention that yeah, they do they do uh, put product in cans. You can find them pretty widely. Yeah, uh, in liquor stores, you pretty much know that any liquor store that's carrying craft beer is probably going to have. Um, insight and they're going to have them in tall boys uh, usually four packs and uh, yeah we're both enjoying it cheers yeah cheers and uh, Dan public service announcement so <laughs> liquor boy a fantastic local liquor store in St. Louis Park near the west end I want to give a beer on sale alert mm. that I noticed today so we are at February 26th that they had six packs of Indeed's Stir Crazy Porter for $4.99. And they also have six packs of the Big Island Blonde Ale from Excelsior Brewing for $4.99 as well. So it looks like there might be some excess stock of some of those beers, which I have never had the Big Island Blonde, but I'm a big fan of the Stir Crazy Porter. So if you like either of those beer styles and you want to save some money, Get down to uh, Liquor Boy in St. Louis Park. Not a sponsor. We're just customers. <laughs> and <laughs> um, actually, so, so, since we're doing uh, beer sale alerts, and this isn't even really a sale because it's been going for a while and made me think of it when you s- said the uh, growler filled deal that they used to have at Insight. Yeah. Uh, 56 for a long time, they've had a deal where it's a buy one, get one free on Mondays. Uh, growlers. Like Crowlers, yeah. Oh, is that Crowlers? I I thought it was. Well, I I don't know. I feel like when you send it to me, it's usually like a crawler thing, but it might. Well, be they growl. they have crawler specials on a regular basis, but I do believe it is a buy one get one growler on Mondays. Probably verify that, or maybe I will verify that, and then if it's not true, then I'll just cut it out of the episode before we post it. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair way to handle that, and I. I think it's worth noting that you usually get notified of that beer sale at 56 Brewing because you're on their email list, right? Yeah, that's right. So it can be helpful to get on some of these brewery email lists to find out, get notified when things are on sale or they have different deals as well. So that's uh, that's what I have to say for the Beer Talk, Dan. Anything you want to add? Nope, I think I'm ready to move on to Wolves. All right, let's talk about your Minnesota Timberwolves. And Dan, I want to start. (laughs) Wait, let me just first say, I'm like, I, you know, you say I'm, I'm a kind of a little more into nerd culture than you. And, and like, you're a, a magic user with a bunch of third level spell slots because you are slinging fire (laughs) tonight. Multiple fronts. You have multiple fireballs. I've been I've been feeling really feisty since the firing of Ryan Saunders, really, Dan. And it actually was like this fire that really built that you just kind of kept throwing a log on because anybody who listens to this podcast knows we usually like to keep it really quite positive and focused on the future and what's possible. And we've extended like a really long leash to this team, especially given the really challenging circumstances that they've had. And then you hire a coach like Chris Finch and it's like, all right, well, you know, let's give this guy a chance. But as I just reflected on Ryan Saunders getting fired and his experience as coach, it really got me angry. (laughs) And, and I haven't seen, I've heard people try to provide these, like, this is going to come out wrong, but like really balanced takes of the Ryan Saunders firing. But I haven't really heard anybody come out in in his defense. Not not and, as a basketball coach. It was interesting because I saw these people just trashing him, trashing him, trashing him. And the day he was let go, like, you know, this really makes me sad. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> There's a lot of that. Like, he was a great guy. I never, you know. And, and, and it, yes, you can certainly – simultaneously have the opinion that he should not be the coach and he's a nice guy, but boy, it sure seemed like it was bordering on on active dislike of the man, you know, for, for months there, but anyway, go on. No. And, and it sounds like, you know, the evidence about Ryan Saunders as a person is in, and he's just a super high quality human being, but I want to just focus on the basketball for a minute. So Dan, I'm going to give you a passionate defense of Ryan Saunders and I want you to let me 
just narrate until I'm done and then you can respond. So I don't want you to respond yeah. along the way. I just want, I, I need a minute. It's like, it's like reading the names at the commencement. <laughs> just let us get through to the yeah. end. Before not you when and then I will, name is announced. I will applaud your rant at the end. <laughs> or completely disagree, <laughs> yeah. right? All right, go. So a passionate defense of Ryan Saunders. Point number one, he never coached a full season. He took over that dumpster fire of a Tibbs season. This is the one that started in the offseason with all the Jimmy Butler drama that ended up leaking into the regular season. And then eventually they moved Jimmy Butler and that season was already on a downward trajectory. People hated Tibbs. And then Ryan Saunders takes over in that road game at Oklahoma City. And he demonstrated some really solid coaching chops, not only in that game. I remember some really uh, adept offense-defense substitutions in that game. And then even the remainder of that season, which the Wolves won about 40% of the games that he coached as a head coach after that Tibbs season. And so he demonstrated some really solid coaching chops that led the Timberwolves for whatever reason you want to give to it, to remove the interim tag and make him head coach. And there was a lot of optimism about Ryan Saunders as the head coach going into that next season. Even if people had some questions about why he was the coach, in terms of like, did Glenn force it? Is this just like the whole country club thing again? People are like, oh, it's Ryan Saunders. He he demonstrated some really good stuff. He took over a difficult situation. They weren't terrible. So where do we go? Point two. So he took over a port partial season and performed really well given the circumstances. In what would have been his first full season, he agreed to invest long-term by an installing a space and pace small ball system with a roster that was completely ill-equipped for this style. Going into that season, we all acknowledge that like, all right, the Timberwolves are trying to establish a culture. They're trying to establish a style, but yet they have people on the team that actually can't shoot the ball. But Ryan's going to not coach to purely for wins, purely for the right now. He's going to coach to like, this is how we play basketball in Minnesota. And then the players will come in and then we'll make this happen. And so people like to focus on his one loss record. And I'm going to say that, and, and this was pretty transparent at the time that like we realized we're playing a system that doesn't perfectly fit our existing roster. We're a family here. We're establishing a culture, a Timberwolves style of basketball. And he was building the system and creating what ended up being a completely BS family culture. If you're going to look at what uh, president of basketball operations, Rosas was, you know, really hawking at the end of the day, it had nothing to do with that. So anyway, he intentionally sacrificed wins and sacrificed catering to his roster strengths to build Rosas's vision. Because when he took over the tip season, he coached to the players strengths. He coached to the players' styles, and even though that particular team didn't have enough good players to truly be good, they wanted a higher rate. So that second season, it was like, all right, Ryan Saunders is here for the long term. We're building a culture. And then, of course, Cat got injured and COVID hit. And then that season ended up only being like a 64 or so game season. So not a full season. Final point, Dan, in my passionate defense of Ryan Saunders, is that this year, to start the year, he goes 2-0 with the full complement of players, which included a win over what is currently the best team in the league record-wise with the Utah Jazz. Then Cat gets injured with the wrist. Cat gets COVID and D'Lo gets injured. And the team becomes competitive with Cat returning, uh, but wins do not follow. Not all that, not all of all that much of a surprise though, because with D'Lo out, this team only has two good players. <laughs> now people would really push back with me on this one. So 
hang tight with me for a second. Now I'm saying those two good players are Cat and Beasley. Anthony Edwards has the potential to be good, and he's shown flashes of being good, but he has shot completely terribly the last, like, five, six, seven games. And those are games that the Timberwolves have won, like, one out of their last eight or nine games. And they all coincide with Anthony Edwards having the most or second most or high number of shots while making maybe a third of them. Teams don't survive that. I had this, my own, uh, it's like non-scientific view of, you know, when you're like looking at results of games and you look at a team, like let's go back to the old uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and you'd have like Durant and Westbrook and be like, oh, Oklahoma City lost that game. I wonder why. And you'd see a game that was like Russell Westbrook shot like seven for 21. Teams don't survive when like the guy who has the most or second most or a very high number of shots makes very few of them. And so we, and Jaden McDaniel shows all of this potential, but he, uh, he's just not quite there yet. And Ricky Rubio has been far more down than he has been up. And I don't need to keep going on and on, but like, this is not a roster you're going to win games with. And I'm saying that there is not a single coach in NBA history that would have close to a 500 record under those circumstances, especially when you talk about last season, the one cut short by COVID, as well as this one. And so it, to me, is completely unfair that Ryan Saunders was fired under these circumstances, especially given that he sacrificed wins and it was the long-term vision. And now he is simply being scapegoated for a bad record, which I'm not saying he coached perfectly or that there weren't things that happened that I, you know, didn't disagree with. I think, but, you know, let's, let's talk about one, Dan, which would be, oh, too many players in the rotation. Well, that's probably what happens when you don't have players performing well, <laughs> like when they're not doing what they need to do and you're trying to find what you have, like maybe this guy can do it or that guy can do it or this guy will step up. And so, yeah, there's sh- surely there are plenty of flaws to point out, but as you told me one time, and I'm going to wrap this up here that like, well, is Steve Kerr a great coach or did he, has he coached like, did he coach a team with four hall of famers on it? (laughs) Like, I just, I don't believe that there's a single coach in NBA history that under these circumstances would have this team playing with a close to 500 record. By the way, the team, the team that Steve Kerr had last year that didn't have Steph Curry was the worst team in the league, right? And now yeah. they have Steph Curry, and they're not the worst team in the league. You know, yeah, it, it is... coach again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 and I'm oh, sorry. sorry. I yep. just don't see how. No, and I. That's fine. I, that bring in a new coach, whatever. Um, and then you see Finch come in, and we lose the first two games. One in blowout fashion, we give up a ton of points, and the other one we lose to a. Bulls team that's fine. The Bulls are fine, right? It's not like they're a very beatable team on any given night. And then, of course, we lose in overtime to them. Like, oh, I thought having a good coach, um, you know, made a difference in those close games. And then you're like, well, oh, it's a new coach. And so they have to get used to it. Well, like, that's what happens when you change coaches midstream. So here we're doing it yet again, eliminating the continuity eliminating the flow, eliminating the relationships and starting from scratch again. If we really think that Ryan Saunders was the problem, tell me how, tell me how he overcomes this. Tell me how Finch overcomes this. Tell me how Greg Popovich overcomes this. I'm done. All right. Well, that was, that was great. So even if I completely disagreed with you, I think that was great just because nobody else is coming out with that take. And you gave a really logical, reasoned defense of Ryan Saunders. And I just think that that was totally missing. It's almost like it, everyone sensed the the sort of vitriol and the the passion for making a change to the point where I honestly don't, don't think people felt like coming out with a counter view would have even been welcome in the discourse. So it was just yeah. great, to, refreshing to hear that. Um, it, if I were to do a pushback, 
Well, I would say on a very gut level, and maybe it's because the Timberwolves, and they're always so bad that anytime there's change, <laughs> I'm excited about change because yeah. something's got to, you know, so, changing something's got to help. There's only so many things you can change. We change players all the time. That doesn't help. <laughs> Let's try one of the few other things you can change. Maybe that will help. Um, but I will say, were I, it seems like a lot of the, the angst when he was coaching had to do with a lot of the stuff with like, oh, his substitutions are terrible, which to me always felt a little bit like a BS thing. Like you're literally telling me, Mr. Guy on Twitter, like you literally know what sh- you, sh- what the team should do rather than Ryan Saunders. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe you do, or maybe, you know, it's just, it's easy for you to say that what you would have done would have had a different result, but there's that you could, you know, sort of point to he's been with his team, you know, that the sort of space and pace and all this, but then this year for some reason, last year was the year they really sort of unleashed cat, but then like how this year is he not getting the touches he was getting last year? There's some of that and the number of lineups and everything. I all think, I think that all of that can be addressed in large extent to things that you've said. It's like, well, of course you're going to run a ton of different lineups out there when the people you expected to be starting at the beginning of the year are playing like the worst versions of themselves. And so you're going to try different things and everything you're trying isn't working. And if anything, he's almost not substituting or he's almost not trying lineups as fast as other people want him to. Hmm. We've got, we played more lineups than any other team in the league by like 150%. And you still have people that are like, yeah, why don't you try this? You haven't tried this, put this in. And when what all these lineups need is, is reps and continuity. So all I, all of that is, is just kind of, I don't know. I don't know how much it all matters in, in the end equation. I think if I were to give a serious pushback on like, we had to make a change You can say like, oh, what what is what is Rosas doing making, you know, Ryan Saunders like you set him up to fail. You did this. You did this. But if if he was if instead of seven and 26 (laughs) with a 212 winning percentage, if they were, I don't know, 13 and 20, Ryan Saunders probably was not fired what I would say is you are allowed to sometimes win in adverse circumstances. And I think an example would be like Oklahoma city this year, by all accounts, it was supposed to be a total rebuilding year for them. They have their one star. I I know you weren't a big believer in Shea Gilgis Alexander, but yeah, (laughs) well, I was really pushing him. It's like, what if we were able to break? You want to trade the number one pick for him. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't like, uh, I, I think you are discounting my view of Shake Gil- Gilgis Alexander, but I had a hard time wrapping my head around the number one pick for him. Um, sure. But I was like, you know, yeah, but I, I think Shay's great. Was he number, would you trade him for number one pick? Like, no GM in the world would do that, right? But, and uh, yet. Is that right? Is that right? I, I Well, I think at this point you would think like if, you know, you had a number one pick came in and they became fully realized as this year's version of Shea Gilgis Alexander, maybe you do it because I mean, he is a, he, I mean, for what he, on the strength of pretty much him, <laughs> Oklahoma city is, you know, leaving Minnesota in the dust. But anyway, that, that's just one example, but yeah, you know, other teams with adversity and, you find a way to make something work and you end up with a, a record of more than, you know, better than seven and 26, but, but maybe another thing that has not been talked about a whole lot. I heard it mentioned almost in passing, but some of the like barking between uh, D'Lo and Saunders on the sideline. And I just wonder this whole thing about youthful team and youthful coach. And as much as anyone, I will say that all these late losses, you know, losing games, at the end that's what young teams do and in fact my brother is a big bulls fan and he was bemoaning this the first half of the season exactly what the wolves are doing every game since cat came back is what the bulls did to start the year 
and now they're winning a lot of those games. You know, the Wolves are kind of the stage. They're, they're losing those games. And um, But to have an inexperienced coach and then the sort of gravitas and command you need to have, you know, the players like Ryan, Ryan like the players. But I think in those moments where you got to, you know, just have sort of the command of authority. And I just wonder if he had that. And I think there is some question about, like we're starting to see some of those issues that there were concerns about where Britt Robson at the beginning of the year, what's going to happen when the team isn't winning and there's a quarterback controversy between D'Lo and Ricky and what happens when, you know, we're even talking about it right now. Everyone sort of feels like when D'Lo comes back, maybe the best realized version of D'Lo is a catch and shoot, you know, sort of, option with the the because now we're thinking that coach finch his his way he wants to maximize cat is to have him initiate offense at the elbow or you know have a ton of touches and anthony edwards is going to do a ton of playmaking and where does that leave d and you're going to have to have a coach that's capable of saying hey man this is the way it's going to work now is you're not gonna you're not going to dribble around for 12 seconds and kind of hoist it when you feel like it but we're going to need you doing doing this and being over here and was ryan saunders the guy to deliver that message and not just that that being one maybe big example but this might be a situation where you need somebody that's just got to got a bit get a bunch of young guys that are used to losing and command them and try to put them in a spot where they can have some success so I think you made a great defense of Ryan Saunders. I know that my gut, my heart told me like when the change was made, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's, we got, I, I was pretty, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what Finch can do with this, with this lineup. So I, 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 I did endorse the change, but I think with a lot more reluctance than most of Timberwolf nation. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, more than, more than you did. And I do appreciate your, defensive Ryan yeah no and I I will say that and we'll talk about our initial impressions of coach Finch but like okay well he um I liked some of the ways that he used cat in those first two games that he has coached and yet they were both losses so yeah I mean um, that's like I I mean like that one game was like day one of his you know moving his boxes into the office so it's yeah, so I, let's let's let, now let's. This is a, that's you a, could put this on Rosas certainly about you're like wow yeah, why well, not the All Star break? <laughs> let me let me put a bow on this then. Is that sure? You know the the bad luck of injuries and COVID et cetera has already been processed enough, processed enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the bad luck that the team has experienced to me was as much of a we give Ryan slack and we give Rosas slack. The moment you scape the goat, the coach for that bad luck is the moment that I eliminate all of the slack that I give you. Yep. Well, and, and I think Britt Robson said that exactly when they did their reaction, a reaction pod with Dane, he said he has removed his shield. So, you know, it's his fall guy is gone. The next the only next person to blame is him. So Dan, if we're going to have a scale that the scale of zero is Andrew Wiggins intensity to 10, Kevin Garnett's intensity, what's your current patience level with this team? I had read this wrong and I was going to accuse you of having a false dichotomy of, I thought you were comparing Andrew Wiggins level of patience and or versus Kevin Garnett's no. patience. And I was going to say, no, they're right. both very patient, but in a different way. So it's, it's the scale is like comparing those two individuals intensity on the basketball court. Yeah. So if zero is Andrew Wiggins intensity, yeah. and it's Kevin Garnett, it's intensity. What's your patience level with this team? Um, so on a scale of yeah, no. and what's your level of patience with this well, team? Well, you know, because I can't ever answer anything without bringing in an unnecessary amount of nuance. I would say that my patience level before I want to moan and turn off the TV is pretty low. It's like sophomore year Wiggins. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. Uh, it would be, I guess, 
KG uh, uh, game one of the playoffs, KG patience. But in, in terms of when I'm not in the heat of the moment and a thing isn't actively happening bad in the basketball on the basketball court, I can actually, I'm very patient. I'm like sophomore Andrew Wiggins level. I I can see a broad view. That's actually really, really hopeful and positive for the team. I think the biggest thing that's scary is just this idea that the team is sold before anything's had a chance to, come to fruition and you know everything gets blown up and the whole process gets thrown aside but you know the developing this you know core of very young guys and uh uh, carl anthony towns that interviews we've had in the last couple weeks seems like he is very all in on trying to be here for this growth process and, and being able to see this come together, I'm I'm actually long term hopeful. I just I fear the discouragement and the culture of losing that can happen between now and then. But I know. Did, I mean, did you feel like here? Here's one kind of going from this patience level and back to the the Saunders conversation. Did you feel like and maybe this is one of the biggest things for for making the change? What was our path? did you see a path out of the cycle that we were in? Did you think like we had lost like nine of 10 or eight of nine since cat came back, was D going to come back and suddenly we were going to go on a five. Yes. Here? Yes. I actually, yeah. okay. I, I will say that the big gap that this team had was a guard who can create their own shot down the stretch and create Plays rather a little more consistently than Anthony Edwards can right now. Mm-hmm. That so you 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 are a big I, I love D'Lo. I think again relative to a lot of Timberwolves Nation, but you're really you're really all in on D'Lo. I, I'm I'm more more than all in on D'Lo. I'm more all in on the like that. I feel like this the, the Timberwolves are like a system that was developed with very little margin for error mm. and that it's not like D'Lo has as an individual, I'm like this huge D'Lo fan. It's that like for this team to succeed, the variables have to be so precise. There's like just no margin for it's the anti Indiana Pacers. Yeah. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter who it doesn't matter if their best players hurt. They're always going to have a 500 record. Whereas the Timberwolves are like the most fragile of fragile results team where I do think that like Cat is an otherworldly basketball player (laughs) and Malik Beasley has some great skill and we have other players who can contribute when the circumstances are just right. (laughs) And I don't mean to say that like, oh, and now D'Lo takes it over the top of like, it's a, a piece that once it's filled, that somebody can do that where nobody else can, that you win games as a result of that. Well, my that theory, my, the my the theory. Shot clock and Cat can't create his own shot. And Anthony Edwards at this stage is going to clang it. And nobody else on the team can create a shot that uh, even 30% of the time, end of shot clock, you're going to get a bucket. That D'Angelo is going to give us that. And then when you come to the end of game scenarios where you like, you just need a guy who he can take a tough shot and make it, or he's going to do something that might leave cat or Beasley or somebody else available to make a big shot that, and he has just a bit more experience and maturity than Anthony Edwards, like Anthony Edwards in a couple of years easily, but right how, now, how many, how many so more here's games gonna happen, Dan, before you, uh, yeah. I mean, here's what's going to happen. Assuming Cat stays healthy and then Beasley comes back from his suspension and then D'Lo returns from his injury, of course this team's going to play better. And then it's going to make Rosas look like he made the right coaching move. And that's just completely BS. It's not the coaching move. It's not. Mm. And so you're not going to be able to enjoy it if they go on that (laughs) run. You're going to be just mad, like sitting in a huddle under a moth ridden blanket no, I'll, I'll, 
I'll be able to enjoy it because I love Timberwolves yeah. wins and because like you love things that you ex- you can't have and that you experience so infrequently, yeah. you know. But I will remember why it's happening. I'm not going to credit mm. Rosas for it. I will not. Well, just yeah. So you're just calling a shot here, and yeah. yeah. I guess we won't be able to necessarily prove it, but this is all. If that does happen, it will be the fruition of my take all along, which has been, you know, like despair despair because of all the losses and all it's going to take is one winning streak and if that winning streak happens to be near the end of the season great <laughs> better yet the yeah. off season filled with hope and joy and outsized expectations yeah. yeah yeah and i and i guess the the part where you know you and i like we watch basketball for entertainment and that's the perspective we try to make you know with the podcast and that kind of thing and that you know if uh, and I can still do that for me where things will, things shift a little bit. If I was going to answer my, like my patience level with this team, like, of course I'm going to be a fan. I'm going to watch as often as I can and enjoy the wins and that kind of thing. And like, but in terms of, and th- I always think this sounds dumb from a pan- fan's perspective, but quote unquote, holding the team accountable mm. is that I have zero patience with the process now. Like I used to have a really long leash. So mm-hmm. with Ryan's like, this is very bad luck. It's bad luck for Ryan. It's bad luck for Gerson. And we just got to like have a stretch where we can actually see how this works. But you make that change in the middle of this. And now I'm only evaluating you on wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Finch came in said, like, I want to be evaluated on wins and losses. Great. Oh, for two. Oh, for two. I'll just ask you to not hold Finch responsible for that. Just hold Rosas responsible. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like, yeah. But, okay. <laughs> you know, how, how, what I wanted to ask earlier, how many more wins would we have if Malik Beasley just didn't lose his mind in the last two minutes of a game? Like, because you, you're saying, like, we got, we need a guy that could just hit buckets in yeah, the last but, minute. It's like, we have him, but he'll step out of bounds before he takes the shot. <laughs> that, that's what I mean about it yeah. being such a precise uh, roster construction. Yeah, everything has to be uh, like perfect. And and a a decent example of this is everybody realizes like something's off with Josh Okogie. That's not just his shot. Like usually it's his shot's not going to fall. But when he's out there, it's like oddly good things are happening. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if like this injury has like moved him from 100% to like 70% and those like things that he used to be able to do to and his shot from 30% to 20%. Yeah. yeah. But that he used to be able to do to create a little more disruption that physically he's just not there. And that, um, and yeah. And we will, I want to talk more about a and such when we get to initial impressions of coach Finch, but let, uh, let yeah, me my, ask- my patience for the team in terms of, am I giving you the benefit of the doubt anymore is gone. Sure. Let me say one other thing that I think the case for Ryan being let go, and and maybe you can say that this was another situation where he was set up to fail, like he thought that this was the program and this is what he was set out to do. But another thing that has come up on the Day and More podcast is this idea of a philosophy of the dogmatic approach to forcing a system on guys that aren't equipped to do it. So like, Josh gets that shot. Hey, we want him taking that shot when perhaps the right approach is no, we don't want you taking that shot. We don't want you in a position where you have to take that shot. If you're in a position where you have, you're not in the right spot in the quarter, you're not doing what we want you to be doing. And in, in one of Finch's first, and he didn't even know that he was speaking in a language that was going to be taken a certain way by Timberwolves fans, but he was talking about certain players having bumpers in terms of what their use is and what the expectations for them are. And it does seem that that could be one of the most fundamentally different things. And maybe there's a good transition to the, the Finch discussion, but just a fundamental change in this idea that you're going to stop taking some square pegs and trying to fit them into round holes and doesn't mean that you don't still want those high value shots but you want to be making you want to you know to take into account who is taking those that's part of what makes it a high value shot is the person shooting the ball not just where the ball is shot from that sort of thing and so obviously he's got a lot of figuring out he's got to do on players 
Um, but I think that that's one intriguing thing that might come about as a result of this change. Yeah, no, and I really liked hearing that as well. And it'd be interesting to see if it actually comes to fruition. The um, So two questions for you on that. Yeah. One is just around the, you know, like, oh, these player, players need bumpers. You know, Kat, you can do whatever you want. Everybody else, you can do do whatever you want within these limits. And yet we still saw Josh Okogie taking threes. And again, like two games, he hasn't had a chance to put it in there. But any coach could look at those numbers and say, like, Okogie, you're not shooting any threes tonight. Right? Like, you could. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, you could. So I wonder to the extent that, like, Ryan, was he just that hard-headed that it was like, oh, yeah, like, this is just what we – I really think that Ryan was just trying to implement – you know, Rosas's system. And I, I wondered to the degree that Ryan actually felt that he had the flexibility to say, Josh, pump fake it and pull up from 15 and um, like, well, take, and take it, one of those dastardly mid ranges that you might actually make. At a certain point, he had to know he was coaching for his job. But if nowhere along that process did he have did he feel he had the authority or the, the freedom to try to do what he truly thought was best moment to moment? I'm not saying he didn't have any, you know, whatever input, but, you know, at a certain point, I mean, maybe that's the case for him to be fired is like a, a coach that is unable to operate as an independent enough entity Um, you know, I, 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 I somehow don't picture, I mean, especially given like, I I know he went through the, the whole interview process at least one time, you know, two years ago, but I somehow don't picture a guy with Finch's resume and track record and presence coming in and, and, and operating in that sort of restricted manner. Um, so, yeah, I guess if there's going to be some changes in that regard, it is going to be something we're going to be able to see. And in terms of Kogi not doing that, you know, maybe game one, game two of the Finch era, I think it's really nice now that we're getting the first two game break. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had in a long time and he's going to, and maybe that was, maybe that was what was being looked at in terms of the, in, in terms of the, the coaching move. I mean, yeah. maybe it was give him two day, two games to see what, how things are working currently and then give him a couple of days. And then, you know, he's got the all-star break coming up. So maybe there's some sense in, in the timing. Actually, there could be a way in which the, the Beasley suspension is a, a, another bit of, in terms of the long view of this to, you know, see what you got with Culver coming back healthy uh, see what you got with a little more playing time, a little more of a front and center presence for Jalen Noel during this time. And maybe it ends up being a really, a really much, a, a lot more data points for coach Finch, at, uh, you know, late March when we finally presumably have our entire full roster. Hmm. So my other question, and this one is, I don't know that you'll know the answer, but it's something that I've wondered a lot is that, you know, with analytics-driven basketball, and I say that in a positive light, uh, you know, it's about getting shots as close to the hoop as you can and getting quality three-point shots or as many three-point shots up as you can stomach. What percentage would you have to shoot on a mid-range or, like, say, like a 17-foot two-point shot, for example, 17- to 19-foot two-point shot? Let's say you shoot really poorly from three, what percentage would you have to shoot of a mid-range to long two to make it worth pump faking oh, that... and, and not stepping back, but actually like stepping in to drain the the long two, the mid-range two? That is a very easily answered question because it's just, I mean, it's it's a s- simple math question. I, I think it always was something like you'd have to shoot, I, I, and I don't know it offhand, but it's something like you have to shoot over 60% on your twos or, and you have to shoot under 30% from your threes in order for the value to be similar. And, you know, there's so many factors in, in that, that I think when, 
you know, the NBA on TNT, they talk about analytics derisively and they're thinking it's really about all twos are bad at all times. And I think that any good coach understands that, you know, the ability to soften people up, you know, with a good shot or an open shot that's in the flow of the offense that is a, you know, mid mid range can be just what the doctor ordered. And it's just, it's really about who's shooting, when are they shooting it? What's the context? What are you trying to create in your offense? So it's, it's never going to be as simple as, or it should not be as simple as coach Finch before you're literally never allowed to shoot this range. (laughs) It's sort of like our old Ed Davis. So I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but I think it is something like you have to, it has to be a shot. God, I would in terms of like actual point value, it has to be like a 60% really shot from two. And he's really into, hold on, click, 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 click. Okay. Yeah, oh, real brand of the G-Lane. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I would say that he, he strikes me as a guy that has a tremendous amount of confidence. Some of it is just how like languid and relaxed he's been in the interviews. He knows exactly what he wants to do and what he believes in and just needs a chance to try to implement it. So I, I, I think that that, especially given this whole young team with a young coach thing that we've been dealing with, I think could be in many ways, just what the doctor ordered. And yet at the same time, it seems like he has a really forward, even being an older sort of grizzled guy has a pretty forward uh, looking approach to the game so um and and we mentioned the thing already about his his little hints you get about his philosophy where he sort of pushes back against a couple radical ideas but then floats out something that he probably doesn't even think of as particularly radical but to us it's like oh really you would keep people that you know can't hit shots from taking those shots it's interesting (laughs) i wonder why we're seven and 26 you know um so yeah i'm interested to see what happens i do sort of wonder like to this guy know what he's he's getting into i i I found myself wondering a lot in the first couple games like how much homework did this guy have a chance to do i suppose he probably did a fair amount when he went through the rigorous uh interview a couple of years ago, but so many things then changed with the, you know, the trades they made at the trade deadline last year and then, you know, gearing up for this year. And it's just a whole new thing. And he comes in and, you know, does he know, you know, this whole thing about, does he really understand the, the degree to which cat has struggled with foul trouble through his entire career? Does he really understand what, does he understand Jared Culver's confidence issues and sort of all the baggage that's tied up with that? And so how long is it going to take him to get up to speed and some of that stuff? And I think having the existing uh, assistant coaching staff, having stayed on at least for the time being was probably been a really good move was no uh, op- no other option anyway it's not like it's a good move they had no other option yeah yeah sure <laughs> you're, you're just not gonna let it <laughs> great um so yeah i think uh i i'm so far so good i i am hopeful for the future with him uh, how about you what which what's your initial take well you know you were wondering about like oh i wonder how much he has like you know paid attention to the timberwolves and i think that it probably goes back to that initial interviewing process where Gerson said, Glenn's making me hire Ryan, but you and I are going to talk every day from here uh, on out until I can fire Ryan and you can be <laughs> coach of the team. I'm being sarcastic, but um, there's probably, you know, I, it, it really struck me that, you know, the Timberwolves are like always known as being the country club. And yeah, it's like, you know what? Every team's probably the country club of like the president of basketball operations wants to hire a guy that he has like had some connection yeah. with at some point. Or it's it, like not just every team, everything in the universe. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my initial impressions of Coach Finch are that we probably should have made Vanterpool the interim head coach. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually not a knock on Coach Finch. I think he's probably a fine basketball mind and makes a fine coach if he has good players, just like anybody would be. Um, and I will say that I really liked some of the ways I thought that he used Cat in those first two games, just everything runs through Cat. Um, and that, you know, he's going to lose as many games as anybody else would with a team that only has a couple of good players. So, um, you know, like Cat to me 
doesn't need to be maximized more. Cat is like cat seems to fit systems really well. And like, what do we want? Four more? You want four more points a game? No, um, I want I want eight more touches. Sure, so sure, like, and I get that. Like game, four four more points, three more assists, uh, better flow. I mean, I, I think it's I, I think it's fair to say that in in many of those losses, those late losses, you're finding that like, oh, what cat took one shot in the last five minutes when the team got one bucket or that sort of thing. We're yeah. like one of the things that I want to see end, and it, it's happened in his first couple of games, but you got to give, I mean, I know you're coming in hot and heavy, but you got to give the guy a break. He like came in and coached <laughs> two games, like back to back, right? Yeah. yeah back yeah. to back on day one and day two of his, of his coaching career. Uh, but these stretches where like we're playing like a competent team, competent team, competent team, six minutes without a bucket or something like that. Just some yeah. crazy stat where we go cold. It's like, what? Those are the sorts of instances where like you have an experienced coach. It's like, man, go into your bag of tricks, bring out that play <laughs> or do your thing that you know is going to get your, your, your best player, the ball or something. And it just felt like, you know, there was no bag to draw from or like no ideas in those stretches. And I, it, it, so in, in, I, I think this comes back to the cat thing, like the maximizing yeah. cat, I think is like, I don't understand how we kind of went away from it because last year it was a thing where like he was catching it up top and he's sort of starting things. And I don't know if it was trying to switch into this new world where now we got the point guard that re we really want. We got D'Lo. And so he's going to be this tremendous playmaker and take on that responsibility. But I yeah. think, man, you got, you know, you start with it in the, it's sort of like the right basket cat making the right basketball play. That old thing is like the right basketball play is him shooting every yeah. time. And again, I, I'd be a little sarcastic there, but it's like, boy, you might as well start with that. You might yeah. as well start with that as an option. Cause like, Hey, if he can take a three right then, or he can beat someone off the dribble, give him that option every time. And then yeah. if it needs to go somewhere else, then you can see if Delo's, you know, available to, Delo's great as a catch and shoot three or the, that sort of bailout, the tough shot, mm -hmm. you know, if the shot clock's running out, then that's time for that great high arcing fadeaway 16 footer. But um, yeah, I think that's one of your, one of the more fair pieces of pushback on Saunders that uh, I do acknowledge is that you have to find a way to get the ball into cat's hands in the last, you know, six minutes of the, of the game. And we saw too far too many times where that wasn't happening, that there's even some early evidence with virtually zero or zero preparation from coach Finch that that will never happen again. I do really like that. Yeah. I'll give you one more pushback that might be worth thinking about is sort of the, this development of the young guys and you know, Ryan, and, and I, I don't like the thing that like, oh, he's so young. He's never seen anything before. It's like the guy has been in NBA coaching circles for 10 years. Yeah. It's not like he came in off the streets, not experienced. That said, I don't think he necessarily, we don't have a reason to believe he has a lot of experience and sort of like the cultivation of a future superstar. You're going to take him and you sort of instill those best habits and bring them along and man, you don't want to mess ant up. And you're at this point right now where regardless of what anyone's thinking coming to the season, he seems very coachable. He seems like he's really positive and his spirit is not broken. And it seems like this critical period in his development where like man this is where you tell him that you don't take that shot this is what you do in that situation god we want you taking this shot oh yeah we want you dunking on guys we want you realizing when you can beat a guy off the dribble and working until you can finish those really tough you know shots at the rim but and we don't need you taking the shot. We also don't need you doing a heat check after you've made one three, you know, yeah. and this is the moment when that's going to be instilled and who's going to be more successful in pulling that off. Is it going to be Ryan? Is it going to be Finch? 
Well, I'll remain hopeful that Finch can do that because at this point it doesn't matter because it won't be Ryan Saunders. It will have to be Coach Finch. And <laughs> right. I will cheer for that to happen, and I'll remain optimistic that it will. I just want one very quick take on why I think they should have made Vanterpool the interim head coach. Yeah. Mostly that I actually think that they're going to regret having not done that at some point. That mostly uh, from the mostly from the Vikings. That's a uh, that's a very Minnesota thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, I'm I actually think, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that as a Minnesota thing, that Tony Dungy was a defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. And he went on to a wonderful career as a head coach, including a Super Bowl win. And then Mike Tomlin was a wonderful defensive coordinator for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And then he went on and won a Super Bowl and has had a wonderful career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it seems to me like... Who's the guy? There's one more. There was the uh, Brian, uh, the offensive coordinator from the... Carter, oh, Brian Billick. Yeah. Yeah, Billick. I want to say Billick. with the Ravens. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that, like, <laughs> Vanderpool is going to get his shot, and he's probably going to do a really good job of it. <laughs> and I'm. And we'll probably and, be 7 and 26. And, <laughs> and, and based on what he was told and promised by the Timberwolves, which was has been highlighted by Britt Robson in his athletic articles. Like we're giving you a big pay raise. We're making you the assistant head coach. And this is going to be your last stop before you're made a head coach. Um, you know, Gerson told him that. Mm. Uh, and, and that still may turn out to be true. It just may not be with the Timberwolves, you know. And and I think if you were going to like really give Gerson the benefit of the doubt, it's like, well, we've got Ryan and he's going to be a long-term hire. Let's like, let's say that truly was the the genuine uh, approach in that, like, we're going to groom you to then go on to bigger and better things. And yet um, when that opportunity was here, he chose to not go in that direction. And I, I really just think the Timberwolves are going to regret not doing that very thing. And I hope that this is as much like a bullet dodge for Vanterpool and that he can, you know, like, become a head coach of a different organization and really uh, succeed. Cause it sounds by all accounts, like he really deserves that opportunity. And your take uh, is probably right. And this is probably wrong. So I'm just joking. But like, what if Vanderpool was purposely coaching bad defense because he was trying to get Ryan fired because he assumed he was up to bat? The data doesn't even bear that out, you know? Okay. This is really terrible. This is Dan uh, the next morning. Do you hear that little annoying squeal that just started in the recording? Well, we weren't totally aware of it, but that thing uh, started and continued, in fact, uh, while we were trying to finish the podcast. And so what we ended up missing was a flaming hot take uh, by Josh on the Malik Beasley uh, NBA judgment, as well as the Timberwolf power rankings. Uh, I won't try to recreate uh, Josh's take, but just because it's such an ongoing bit for us, I am going to give you just a quick rundown without the usual uh, lush discussion and back and forth on the Timberwolf power rankings. I did have J-Mac finally making uh, the power rankings. Probably should have been in before now, and I wouldn't even say that uh, this is the time he was most deserving, but it was more because there were not other players on the Timberwolves who were um, deserving enough uh, during this last stretch. Uh, I have Jane McDaniels at number four, um, who has continued to impress uh, with his uh, instincts and uh, defensive awareness. Uh, I have Vanderbilt, who has been toying around with number five and number four. I have him in at number three uh, this week. I have uh, Anthony Edwards at number two. He's not even been playing particularly well in a general basketball sense. He's not been shooting that well. I, I mean, he's he started to uh, make a little more noise in some of the other, uh, I guess, box score stats. But for sure, his, he's been in a shooting slump. Uh, but this is really on the strength of the dunk, as well as uh, the fact that he continues to uh, be at the top of his interview game. Uh, and just as a reminder, Josh always gives a, a reminder that the power rankings are not necessarily who is playing the best or who is the best player for the Timberwolves, but kind of who has that energy and 
uh, has just got me excited enough, enough to um, give them a place. And the number one uh, Timberwolf in the power rankings is Cat, who is continuing to play solid defense while uh, really being at the top of his game, uh, making great decisions with the ball, um, scoring incredibly efficiently. It really seems at this point like the only thing uh, that is really missing from his game is something that seems not even uh, under his control, which is him getting, literally getting the ball. So we'll see how that could be unlocked in the new uh, Coach Finch era. So I, I regret that Josh wasn't here to push back a little bit. Oh, and Josh's sixth man, this is great. Josh's sixth man was Ryan Saunders. So... Um, lacking a lot of discussion, pushback around those, but I wanted to make sure I did get them in. Um, and this is kind of a sad trombone ending to the ninth episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Uh, just to let you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter under the handle Tip to Tap. You spell out the two. Uh, if Josh was here, he would thank you for tuning in and let us uh, let you know that if you can think of anyone else who might want to join us. For Timberwolf and Minnesota Craft Beer Talk, please let them know about us. Um, in fact, he is Josh Dye, and I am Dan Hilton. Let Insight Brewing mellow you out and mellow out your takes. Be kind, take the long view, and keep it fun, everyone. <laughs> Go Wolves! Ow!